Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself, or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor, or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio, which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 accumulation index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker. Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself, or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor, or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio, which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 accumulation index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker. And hello and welcome back to Australia's Hour of Investing Power. Well, a little bit less now after that little technical issue, but we're hopefully cooking with gas right now. Uh, of course, we are right here at Ticker TV located in Richmond, and we're going to be anti we're going to be answering your questions live on air. So folks, uh, 0480 or text us or email us question at spotty.com.au. All right then, well, let's get into our guests. Unfortunately, slight technical issue there. So let's start with the man who, well, you know what? He'll be the reason why Medallion Financial Group will be the next millionaire's factory. It's the man who makes the money, not the one who counts it. It's Stuart Bromley from Medallion Financial Group. G'day, Stuart. How are you doing? Very good, Elio. Thanks for having me back. And welcome back too, mate. And thank you very much for coming on to the show once again and for joining us on the last time this year. And uh, yeah, look, uh, such rave reviews. It's been too long since we've had you back. But for those that may be tuning in and seeing you for the first time, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so look, I'm one of the advisors here at Medallion. I've been with the team for three years. Uh, we basically look at focusing on the ASX 300, working with clients on their share portfolios to make sure they're in the right sectors uh, and then drilling down and finding the best companies through fundamentals. That's right. Well, nice and simple. And of course, we'll get to see you uh, in full flight as we answer your questions. But medallionfinancialgroup.com, or sorry, medallionfinancial.com.au is where you can go to learn more about the services that Stuart offers. Now, next is someone, like I said, he does uh, plug a hole when I need him. And, you know, he was so good the first time. Well, it was only one week you had to wait till he came back. David Thang, we didn't hear your big intro, mate. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, the great team that you work with there at Sequoia Wealth Management. Thanks, Elio. Uh, thanks for having me back, uh, nice and quick. Uh, so basically at uh, Sequoia, uh, so I guess there really is about four pillars. Um, so essentially the service that I offer to clients is you've got your traditional broking where you're essentially working with um, clients, clients with self-managed super funds, 
and they're looking for portfolio construction and management. And then we've also got the other advice side where clients are saying, look, I trust you, you've got your track record, here's my funds and please invest in the model that you manage uh, being Australian equities. And lastly, we also have the non-advice side, uh, which are, are more suited towards uh, solicitors and uh, I guess any clients that have deceased estates that are looking to sell their shares, that's something that we can also mm. facilitate. So all in all, been in the market for about 20 odd years um, and it's fun. I love it. And of course, you're our chart man for today's show. So folks, if you want to know mm. about those key levels, then uh, David from Sequoia Wealth Management um, is where you want to uh, go and Sequoia com.au is that website so we're ready folks all we now need are your questions but before we get started very important part of the program and that is that i remind you that in today's show all the information is of a general nature only none of it takes into account your personal objective situations or needs and therefore should you decide to act on it you need to do so in light of your own personal circumstances past performance is no indicator of future performance unfortunately after what was a ripping november uh, but, no, but nonetheless, so, uh, we certainly hope it can continue. Uh, and remember, folks, uh, we do um, uh, try to disclose when we do hold an interest in a stock that we do discuss. However, sometimes in the heat, the heat of discussions around stocks and the like, we do forget. So feel free to contact us all directly if there is uh, further clarification that you wish to uh, hear of in regards to any of the stocks discussed. Now, for the next hour, Spotty is proud to be powered by our partners in Light Share Wealth Systems. And since 1995, ShareWell Systems have helped investors protect and grow their share portfolio with a rules-based investing approach that gives them an edge over others. So if you wish to learn more about the team powering our spotlight and how you too can be the tortoise and win the race of investing life, then please go to the website sharewealthsystems.com and be sure to read all the relevant information on screen before making any investment decisions. Well, the market always continues to surprise. Well, surprise because some people thought it might go down, but let's face it, the market only ever goes up. Uh, currently, as we're going to uh, to air, the All Ordinaries up 0.88%, uh, the XJO up 0.95%, so it looks like the big guys are doing the heavy lifting today. Gentlemen, I want to talk about the main uh, topic of today, and let's face it, uh, while we're on the show, actually, the news came out in regards to that tweet that came through from one of the, uh, uh, or through a, an official that was working with a Chinese department, to date, as we've gone to air, there's been no retractment or the like from uh, uh, anyone in the Chinese government. Not surprising, of course, because uh, maintaining face is one of those key cultural issues. But nonetheless, it has raised the question. We know, we've known for a few months that everyone's been sort of reduced or has this eye towards reducing their reliance uh, on China in regards to the supply chain. We, we uh, now know, of course, that the demand chain's also just as important with regards to Treasury wines. So, Stuart, I'm going to open up with you here in this regard. You know, does this latest escalation that we've seen really change the game for a number of companies that have a heavy reliance on China as a major customer? Yeah, look, I, I think it is a, a major issue. They're our largest trading partner by some way, so the impacts could potentially be enormous. Uh, if you look, we're almost double our, our largest trading partner they are. So mm. uh, ahead of anyone else, their initial bans and embargoes look like they'd been designed to send a message to Australia mm. uh, to fall in line. And they started to look at things like coal, wool, barley, alcoholic beverages now. But if they continue that decoupling, it could move across to these other commodity areas. Uh, you've iron ore, gas, gold, all these could come under pressure, but also tourism. 
tourism, mm. international students could all be hit as well. Uh, so there's a lot of concern for us. And the way we're looking at this is say, well, look, we don't necessarily want to have, be in companies that have that heavy reliance on China anymore, uh, just while we see what plays out. And we can reassess that once things hopefully calm down. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, it's not like you're saying goodbye forever, but being prudent a little bit and watching your overall exposure in that last sentence where you rattle off some of those industries. You want to be a little bit frightened there, folks, because they are effectively three of our largest um, that you rattle in the one breath and have the potential um, to be at risk. So, David, obviously, lots of people, it's making its way through the headline news, of course, which means it's make, it makes its way into investor psyche. Are you seeing any sort of change in behaviour or have the, you know, the, the boffins that are sitting there at Sequoia changed their stance somewhat to just be a little bit more risk averse or is it simply uh, still a case? As many investors had been up until this point, oh, well, that's just part of doing business with China. Look, it's a, it's a very interesting one, Elio, and being Chinese myself, I, you're spot on there with uh, face and I think... Mm that's a crucial thing and I, I don't think the the Chinese are gonna uh, back down uh, too easily now I guess in terms of uh, Chinese oh, sorry in terms of ASX listed companies that do have a I guess a leverage towards the consumer Chinese consumer like those companies are it, they are probably going to do it fairly tough over the short term and I, I do agree with Stuart um, the, the likes of Treasury, Treasury Wine, it's, mm. I think, yeah, it, it's a tough one. No, they did rebound quite nicely after the vaccine and they've just come off from the right off once again. So I think over the short term, risks are definitely there. Uh, so it's one that you, I would basically look to lighten exposure. Uh, but that being said, look, I still like A2 milk. I think mm -hmm. the, the runway is pretty decent there over the longer term. Um, and the fundamentals look pretty good, technicals look pretty good. So I think all in all, you can reduce your position sizing for just to mitigate the risk factor there. Yeah, although I did notice McPherson's even came out with an update today saying that sales at singles day uh, weren't as uh, strong as what that anticipated. And now they're stuck with a whole bunch of moisturizers from their um, uh, Dr. Lewin, I think it is. Uh, their mm. Lewin products. So whether that's related or not, time we, we just don't know. But obviously, it's going to be the major issue, I think, that will uh, dominate most investors' psyche leading to the end of this calendar year and will be far and away more important than who was going to win the US election. All right, then, gentlemen, it's time for us to go into client questions. And we've got ourselves another video question to open up uh, proceedings uh, today. So uh, uh, take a bit of a get your popcorn and uh, yeah, take it away, Mike. Hi, Elio and Frank. I'm looking to get some analysis on a few stocks that have piqued my interest as of late. Um, the first two are looking pretty tip-top technically, and I'm looking for some fundamental analysis to see if I can turn these trades into some investments. Um, so that is AMS and XF1. Um, the other two I actually quite like fundamentally, but I'm unsure of the technical levels and those two are KSL and WGX. Thanks, cheers. Now folks, if you're wondering what that was in the background, it wasn't a fake background, that was actually Philip uh, messaging us from uh, the UK where he's stuck and still can't make his way 
back home, even though um, the hope was you could get back before Christmas, but, you know, it's always very difficult. So uh, be safe there, young Philip. But let's go to those questions. I'll start with the fundamental side first, uh, Stuart, if I can. The two stocks he talked about was Atomos, AMS, the video content editor uh, and creator um, software and program, and uh, XF1, uh, which is a system that allows uh, employers to scan prospective employees um, to see if they meet the grade and they can bring them on internally. So from a fundamental perspective, what's your view on both those companies, both at very early stages of their journey, of course? They are. They're early stages and, and that sometimes can be a hard place to look fundamentally. But uh, Atomos is definitely an interesting business. They, their flagship product is a, a five-inch video recorder and monitor as well. So mm. if you can imagine, usually uh, cameras out there, they can see everything but they don't necessarily can take all that data and make it usable as a video. So mm. what this product does, it lets that data, instead of being compressed and lose all the quality, it lets them create high def and 4K videos uh, that they otherwise couldn't. So it's a very exciting product. They've got strategic partnerships uh, with the likes of Apple, Adobe, and camera makers, Sony, Canon, Panasonic. So these are big names that also think this is an exciting product. Mm. Fundamentally, there's no profit, there's no dividends. Uh, from FY 2018 to FY 2019, their revenue grew at around 50%, which is great, uh, but they were hit hard by COVID. So sales yeah. fell 50, 60% uh, in that second half against the second half of 2019. So that has hurt them. But uh, what have they got? Uh, just checking they raised money in may they've mm -hmm. cut fixed costs by around 60 percent uh, to to be one mil per month around there and their cash position at the moment is around 18.9 mil so that that's the sort of thing that should should be enough to get them through and they're definitely an exciting business so it's certainly an yeah. interesting product uh, everyone wants easier faster smaller mobile technology and that's what they provide so uh, yeah, definitely worth a look that business and uh, I see Elliston have a 7.5% share in them. So they're getting on the radars of some interesting places as well. Mm. Uh, so yes, so with X XF1, I'm glad it wasn't around when I was first getting my job. Uh, God knows what would have happened there, but uh, why is it um, you know, a possibly exciting opportunity there, Stuart? Yeah, basically they complete reference checks. So they allow businesses to focus on their, their core business, saves time and focus. Uh, what they service over a third of the ASX top 50, I see. Mm. So, uh, you know, large clients like Westpac, they've got Zero on board, KPMG, uh, Shangri-La, Krispy Kreme, Airbus, very broad clients. Fundamentally, aside from decent revenue growth, uh, really for us, they've had net losses generally been growing the last six years. So we don't really love these guys. It's not terribly unique, the concept. So if you imagine someone like Seek might be able to do something similar, other entrants could come into that market. But uh, yeah, for us, it's not one I'd love, but an interesting business all the same. And it's a space that's needed as people have to complete reference checks. And everyone seems to be changing jobs uh, four times a year. So yeah, that could obviously uh, speed that up. And and look, you know, young Philip has a bit of a nose for finding these uh, revenue uh, growers at the early stage. And maybe these are two that have uh, definitely cracked that. But David, I'll go to you. And uh, by the way, actually, uh, Phil's mum was actually very happy to have uh, someone from Sequoia jumping on the program. She reckons you guys have been making some good calls recently. So she patted me on the back for that. So uh, don't disappoint me, mate. Um, the, the next two stocks he talked about was Keener Securities, KSL, which is 
a bank that's uh, run out of Papua New Guinea. It's one we've talked about on this program before. And the West Gold Resources, uh, WGX, who um, has a, a prospective gold um, in the uh, Briar Basin um, at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, what's your view in regards to those two stocks technically? Because that's because he's noticed there's been a bit of weakness in both. Look, I think in terms of uh, Kena Securities, it's it, they've had a nice pop and they've also had a gap fill. So I talked about gap fills last week and there was a gap fill between about 83 cents to probably about 89 cents. So that's it's generally seen as not a great sign mm. over the short term. So it's, as you can probably tell, it's also pulled back in share price um, this week after touching about just shy of 90 cents. So I think one thing, yes, it's had a good run of about 71 odd cents. There was a capital raise at about 80, 80 cents. So what I would be monitoring right now over the short term is probably a bit of weakness. And all in all, it's still in a downtrend. So just keep that um, on the back of your mind mm. and I just sort of feel as though if the bulls don't fight it out uh, this week chances are we'll naturally see a bit of a rotation uh, to the downside so I just think be a little cautious perhaps take some profits off the table um, it's always good taking a profit here and there that's for sure mitigate mm -hmm. that risk but I just sort of see a bit of a pause um, in momentum on Kena securities yeah and uh, WGX, how's its price look relative to uh, what the broader sector has done in terms of gold? And I'd be interested in your views on that too, mm. David. Sure. So in terms of gold, uh, spot gold in US dollars, um, it's, it's definitely formed a downtrend last week. So on that significant break to the downside. And all in all, gold is at a key structural support level. And naturally, uh, these types of rotations especially in the gold sector, is quite uh, sharp and severe. And I think we're potentially towards the end of it. There might be, let's say, another weaker downside, but it's one. It's a natural rotation. So I think in terms of gold, uh, the coast is almost there in terms of finding some ground uh, in the yellow middle. But more specifically, in terms of West Gold uh, resources, look, it pretty much mirrors the the gold price mm. and you can see today it's up about uh, roughly about three percent so gold stocks are starting to stabilize um, ahead of uh, the underlying gold price but I sort of feel as though gold even in the underlying stocks and companies you probably want to wait another week or two um, trying to pick bottoms is very tough so I'd rather see a bit of confirmation from the downside start to see the bulls the buyers come through and then I think it will start to look a little more attractive. Yeah, I mean, the, the drilling at Fortnum is looking good, but it is uh, uh, beholden to the gold price at the moment. And I think that's been more the case rather than anything uh, fundamental related to the business. So hopefully that answers your questions, uh, Philip. Uh, look, Stuart, uh, no one from Medallion Financial Group comes on this show and doesn't get asked this question. So I'll ask it before uh, everyone jumps in. It's in regards to Wellmost Software, ELO, of course. It's a business that you guys know very, very well. Since you were last yep. on and you were asked about it, <laughs> um, the price has had a bit of a rally since then. So um, I'll uh, preempt everyone's question and, uh, and ask you, do you think it's uh, all still on track, notwithstanding the fact that everything seems to be reopening and eventually we're going to have to start making our way back to the office so we can already see you've already done that? 
That's it. I, I think for us, uh, Elmo's a business we've liked for some time. They've got a suite of HR products. So basically, it's all cloud-based. Uh, they they want to make things easier for businesses. And at the moment, they've started to move into the smaller business space. So they've acquired a company over in the UK, uh, which focuses on companies with staff less than 50. Mm. And if you can imagine, that's a big market. A lot of companies do operate with less than 50 employees, yet they still want top of the line uh, HR products. So that brings them into market. Once you get these new clients, and that's what's exciting for a company like Elmo, for every new client you get, you can you might bring them in for one certain product that they like, but then you can cross sell them to one of the other, say 15 products you have available. Uh, as well as that, you can as you acquire businesses, those businesses can end up uh, bringing their clients that you can cross sell to those as well. So there's a whole heap of uh, additional selling opportunities with every new product they bring on or every new company they acquire that adds to their potential looking ahead. And, and COVID's only been a catalyst for people to move to that online space as well. So mm -hmm. for us, it's a company we're really happy with. They've got over 90% customer retention rates, very quite a sticky product. They're cashed up and ready to acquire. So one we'll be happy to stick with. Okay, so there's your update, folks. Hopefully that filled uh, that need. Uh, let's go to, actually, I'm going to answer Al's question who asked about Godolphin Resources, code GRL, for those of you playing along at home. It's a stock we talked about very recently, so I'll summarise what I said last time about it. Um, it has uh, its Cooper Hill East project, which it's uh, drilling into at the moment in New South Wales. Uh, look, the, 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 the talk is, is that it looks like they may have clipped a major copper and gold porphyry system, which uh, they've now had to go through. Uh, get some money and drill some more. Now, Al was wondering whether the price, given its retracement in recent times, now back at the capital raising level, is a good entry point. Um, for that, I'll lean on my good mate, Tony Lacantro, our resident Petri dish here at Spotty, um, who knows that this company very, very well. And he's a big fan um, of the company. He thinks um, that there could be a very large gold inventory that it's sitting on, around 400,000 ounces, and there is significant exploration upside as well, including from their emerging project at Lachlan Fold Belt. So, yeah, Al, um, Tony believes it's uh, pretty good. I like the look of it as well, notwithstanding its price has had a bit of a pullback, but I think you will find support at the capital raising price. Of course, if it breaks that, well, then it may very well be a different issue. So you just need to be very wary of that. Um, I'll go to you now in regards to this one, David. The question comes from Kevin, mm -hmm. our resident ETF man, but he's asked about ordinary stocks. So good on you, Kevin. I like to see that you're a, a man of uh, many talents. But he is talking about one of the big stock, stock uh, news stories of the moment, and it is Treasury Wines. So I don't um, necessarily need Stu uh, Stuart's view in regards to the business, but I will ask for a brief comment in a moment. But with regards to you, though, be really interested if you could take us through the education um, around looking at this chart because I dare suggest a number of people may have been sucker punched into this because it had a bit of a slight rally before it's had this big retracement back. So talk us through this chart, David. Explain to, you know, where people might have got in and, and the like. And then I suppose the, the next point, what you would do right now from a chart perspective. All right, Elio. So... All in all, things are looking very rosy um, until, uh, I guess in terms of the early signs of mm. uh, alarm bells was essentially back in January this year and you know, pre-COVID. And when prices broke below $14, that was the start of a, a pretty significant downtrend. So 
a little difficult to assess from the line chart there, but in terms of the magnitude of that fall, uh, once it broke above $14, it was rather significant. And we mm. sort of saw a lot of news flow come through um, on the negative side of things. And that's really take, there's really been no return on the downside there. And it's, it's unfortunate, but I guess that's the way it goes in terms of businesses. Mm. Now, looking at it down here, um, it's still it's still a very much a high risk proposition, and you know management did come out and say that they're going to look to rejig and reshuffle their business strategy, uh, but that's probably going to take three years. So you're essentially looking at three years of uncertainty with your funds. So there's opportunity cost from that perspective, but all in all, like if I look at it from a technical perspective right now and where we'd likely go over the next, let's say. Uh, three months or so, you have major, major key support down at $7.86. And if it takes out that level, um, I'm looking at a projection to the downside towards about $7.12 and then $6.48. And so all in all, long term, short term, medium term, whatever term you look at, it's downwards, very, very high risk. And it's just one way. Look, if you want to play that uh, China facing sector, I'd, uh, I'd stick to A2 milk. Uh, I just think Treasury wine is just a little too much risk there. Okay, well, Stuart, 30% of their earnings come from China and it's not like it's been a smooth relationship uh, for some time. I mean, there was the talk that there was much of it sitting on the docks and a whole range of other issues that have occurred with it. Um, you, 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 you mentioned uh, earlier on in the program in regards to your natural aversion now in regards to stocks heavily reliant. So just a brief comment in regards to Treasury Wines. Was it a stock that you guys supported prior to the news recently? Uh, we did have it a, a while ago, but nothing recently. Um, I've, I've had a read about these guys. I agree with David. Uh, the current tariffs are a massive drama for them. They've, management have said they're going to look to pivot their focus to other luxury markets, but that's over the next couple of years. So in the short term, it, it's going to be rough times for them, I'd imagine, mm. and uh, one that we'll maybe reassess in six, 12 months. But at the moment, we're looking to be well and truly out of that space. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, we uh, went into a couture store on the weekend, gentlemen, in order to buy my niece a, uh, an upcoming 21st uh, present. And uh, normally, traditionally, when you go downtown Collins Street here into those sorts of shops, well, let's just say there's a particular clientele you normally get to see uh, within there. And uh, yeah, they weren't there this time. It was quite an unusual feel. And uh, I think that whole China theme is still going to play out for some time. Treasury Wines is really going to need to pull a rabbit out of the hat, lest they experience a further wine glut, which we know is incredibly disastrous, not just for it, but for the broader industry as a whole. So our thoughts go out to those. Um, particularly you small operators out there who are running your own vineyards, living the dream. But obviously, um, we hope that things improve in that regard. Um, he did have another stock, though, Stuart, Kevin, that um, he wanted answered, and that was in regards to Woolworths, code WOW. Um, of course, it had, and in their latest results, we saw the massive spike that both Coles and Woolworths achieved in, on the back of stockpiling and the like, and, and what we've seen there, and even post that, uh, still very strong numbers in regards to sales growth. So Kevin would like a view in regards to where you see Woolworths at the moment and how you feel uh, it's positioned as a business. Can the good times continue? 
Uh, I think the OK times can continue for a Woolworths. They're the sort mm -hmm. of business that they're, they're relatively defensive. Uh, there may be investors out there that have got cash in things like term deposits that are looking to get into businesses they understand and know. And, and businesses like Woolworths are ones that everyone see, they know, they're happy with them. So that may get some uh, interest that direction. Uh, for us, we don't love them. They're not terribly exciting. They are quite a broad business. And I think people need to understand they're not just uh, supermarkets. They've got pubs and things. So while one part of the business might do very well during COVID, for instance, uh, the pubs, on the other hand, have been hit quite hard. Uh, so they've got all of these things to balance up. There's often while one area is running, the other area has got a parachute on it. Uh, and, and we just prefer to look for other spaces. But, uh, you know, there are, I think there's other turnaround plays that are worth looking at as opposed to a Woolworths. And remember, you can join Kevin in asking questions by texting us 0480 or emailing us question at spotty.com.au. But David, I'll ask for your view on Woolworths because... I don't know about you, but I think as a chartist, when you're looking at these large cap businesses, it's quite hard to actually use technical analysis. Now, I'd be interested to hear your view. The reason why I say that is because when you're already top of the tree, it's almost like your price is incessantly range bound. And in effect, most indicators would give you, um, you know, sell, <laughs> sells at the wrong time and then buys at the wrong time because you're basically moving sideways in a range, which of course we know is what really slams technical analysts. So, just in regards to Woolworth, your view on the chart, and then using technical analysis on large caps, how, how do you get through that phenomenon, which is, you know, what seems to be on almost a range bound into perpetuity for many of the big guys? The way I sort of tackle large caps, Elio, is uh, you're writing that uh, they are quite range bound. And so I try and look at the rhythm, how they tend to move in the past and like generally stocks will rotate every one to six months, whether it be up, whether it be down, and large caps tend to do that a fair bit. And in terms of the recent vaccine announcement where we saw that massive rotation out of consumer discretionary into your recovery place, like that's all in all led Woolies, Woolworths to retrace about 7% in share price. So it's come off about 7%. It's actually held quite a key support level at $36.77. And it's starting, like still early days, but it's starting to hold that mark just a little. So the way I'd look at it is in terms of upside, it can regain that move back towards about $39.76. Mm -hmm. So just keep that marker there. And that's the key area, right? That's the top side of the range over the short term. If we get above that uh, convincingly, and then the next marker you're looking at is about $40.79, which, uh, which is a decent mark from current share prices to about $40.79. $40 so it's, I think it's quite a safe play. Uh, you can't really go wrong. I guess if you sort of compare it towards uh, term deposit rates, the yield you're getting on Woolies and these types of companies are quite attractive. Um, but I wouldn't rule it out. Um, the overall market's been pretty hot. So I think all in all, Woolies, you know, it will have its turn. And I think in, once again, just reiterating, the two resistance levels that I'll be watching for now is $39.76 and $40.79. And to complete the story, the gross up dividend yield at current price is 3.57%. And yeah, you're right, David, it has made its way to many. And let's face it, 
One of the upsides in regards to the COVID crisis is the incessant talk of potential competitors coming into Australia has very much eased um, in recent years too. So that will also uh, support the business moving forward. So look, I've got to admit, I like it, um, but it is more larger cap. It's not one that you would hold if you were really a growth focused investor because it just doesn't have that dynamic nature that you want um, about those types of companies. All right then, folks. So we're about halfway in now. So gentlemen, get yourself a glass of water. Remember, if you've got a question, send it to question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480 uh, Remember the website, spotty.com.au, which is where you can go and watch all the past episodes. Um, and you can also tune in um, to replays on your favourite podcast channel where you can speed it up and listen to us sounding like chipmunks. Uh, now, we continue with our exploration of the 16 trades of successful investing that our great supporters of Share Wealth Systems have made available to all viewers at Spotty. And today we talk about why you need to invest in yourself first. Now, those of us who have been doing this thing for quite a while, well, let's just call it a long time now, will tell you that the best investment that we ever made was in ourselves. Investment in our knowledge and in the time required to become skilled in this dark art known as investing. Because if you want to learn how to fish in order to feed your family for a lifetime, then we need to pause from the daily grind. We need to listen to what people are telling us and we, and we also need to be uh, and practice sorry, what it takes to um, get into a routine in order to think methodically about all our investment decisions. And here is the secret, folks. Empowering yourself through knowledge through new skills will always be the greatest investment that you will ever make. So go to the website 16traits, that's 16traits.com to learn why investing in yourself is the greatest investment of all. Okay then, gentlemen, uh, back from our halftime break. Uh, as we go to air, the market currently, just having a look, the All Ordinary's up 0.88% uh, still. Oh no, hang on a tick, that's uh, not been refreshed on my system. So bear with me a moment, folks, as we get that uh, up and running. Uh, there we are, the All Ordinary's now, uh, oh no, still same amount actually. <laughs> there you go, press refresh and it gave me the same result. There you go. Either way, it's a great day to be an investor. So let's get back into the uh, questions, gentlemen, and I'll start with you, Stuart, in regards to Telstra, uh, TLS. Interesting business, obviously, uh, had been touching multi-year lows until Mr. Penn in his sort of uh, custom moment has basically put the flag in the sand and said, right, this is uh, what I stand for, which is effectively breaking up the business into three separate segments to make them more valuable as standalone entities. So share price bounced on that, but it seems to be coming back, unfortunately. It's now at around $3.10, I think, as we go to air. What's your view in regards to the mighty Telstra? Well, two things. One, the business as a whole and where you think it's headed. And do you think it was a good decision or good strategic decision to uh, break up this business, to value it at some some parts. Yeah, I think it's probably a, a good short-term idea for them. They, they were on the nose. People are disappointed in Telstra for many years now. Uh, it's a very competitive space that's growing fast. You've got a lot of you know, lower-cost providers in that space. Uh, I think it's it's a good move for us. We'd rather be out of Telstra, enjoy the the slight clawback that it's had off that news, and be done with it if you held it. Uh, really, I, I watch a company like Telstra. If you can go and get a plan from someone else at a far lower price, people are going to probably do that. In the past, they were the only ones that could provide the good service in certain areas, but that level from other competitors is lifting. Yep. Uh, and, and it's just not a space that uh, we generally love overall. If we do look at that space, we'd rather look at, a, say, say a, a chorus over in uh, New Zealand 
or, or Vocus TPG, we probably prefer those more than Telstra. Uh, when the best news about a company is that it's setting itself up uh, to be able to be broken up, probably isn't the best news really in the end. You know, just to say, well, we can split it up now so it's a better business overall. It's not something we'd buy based on. Yeah, I know that. And and look, you'd probably want to see some evidence there. I think the move strategically, though, makes sense. I mean, David, its price since that pop has pretty much gone sideways since then. So what sort of levels would you be watching to uh, confirm? Sorry, uh, John was the one who asked the question. What sort of levels would you be um, telling John to watch to confirm whether this you know, is a sustained rebound or whether it looks like it was a false hope? Elio, it's a Telstra. Telstra is one where as soon as I speak to clients with, there's a don't stop, no more. Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> so, hear it. Yeah, it's the denial. It's the head in the sand. Banned, I know. Banned. Yes, I know that for sure. It's, a, it's an interesting one. Like uh, Telstra, I've noticed when it looks ugly, that's when you sort of got to pick it up. Um, so it's sort of reverse psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of the levels, look, all in all, look, it's had a nice pop, but just got to bear in mind that the long-term trend is still down. So chances are this pause, the key level that I'll be watching is $3. It's very, very psychological. If we get a break below three, then I'll be looking for a move down to $2.86. And that's, let's say about seven to 8% at decline in share price. Look, it's, it's healthy considering that the move that it's had from $2.66. And so all in all, I think short term, I wouldn't be surprised to see the overall, the broader term trend uh, continue to the downside. Watch for $3 and the reaction there. Look, okay. you might not get down to $2.86, mm-hmm. but I'd say watch three. Uh, if it bounces off three, tr- trades back towards about 305, then look, we're looking for another move towards 319, break above that, then things will start to look pretty rosy, but uh, one step at a time for Telstra. Yeah, I think you've got to be careful in trying to preempt uh, everything there. Still a lot to uh, play out in that one. Uh, Spirit Telecom, ST1 and Unity Group, uh, UWL, uh, my two in the space for what it's worth, um, John. Um, look, let's stay in that space, actually, Stuart, if we can. The question, uh, I'll just call it, is from Nina and wants to know our thoughts in regards to uh, Taos Limited, TUA. Now, for those that don't know, that's the TPG's Singapore assets, actually, which were spun off and now are put into a separate entity. Um, particularly on the back of TPG playing the whole now almost government game here domestically with the new 5G and a few other things as well. So we'll be interested there, there Stuart. What, uh, what can you provide Nina with, with guidance? Because, of course, let's face it, the Singapore asset was quite a good asset for TPG back in the day. It was. Uh, for us, we're, we're looking at this and saying, well, do we really have a desire to hold uh, an asset in Singapore? Basically, anyone who has this is just received them from the, from holding TPG and we've mm-hmm. got rid of them for clients. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about that Singapore market. We'd rather just say, well, look, we'll stick with TPG here. TUA, let them go. Uh, I don't know if they're a global powerhouse in that space, if they're one of those. But for us, we'd rather just say, well, look, we know these markets better here in Australia and, and New Zealand. And again, it'd be more the, the Vocus, TPG, Chorus type companies we'd look at in that space. Yeah, but then, David, when you look at a price chart, I suppose, you don't really need to know what it does. But, I mean, its price has been all over the place. It shows you how investors have been trying to figure it out. And, look, in, da- in response to what da- um, sorry, Stuart mentioned there, it is a powerhouse in Singapore. But the problem is Singapore ain't really a big country. So 
What's the chart telling you in regards to uh, TUA at the moment? Although I've got to admit, I tend to agree with uh, Stuart. I like to invest in things that I can sort of get my head around. I've never been a big international investor, always been long Aussie. But what's your thoughts in regards to the chart? In terms of the chart, look, just looking at it from a money flow index perspective, like I am seeing um, that decline. So generally, if share prices are rising and you're seeing money flow um, decline, it's what we call bearish divergence. So it basically insinuates that the move is likely not to be as sustained. Mm -hmm. All in all, yes, there's been a big move from about 47 cents, but trend is still yet established. It's still very much everywhere. I'd say over the short term, in terms of a, a structural support layer, I'd be watching 60 to 65 cents mm -hmm. and the reaction there. And the top side, you're looking at 81 cents. So if it's able to break above 81 on a convincing uh, basis, and I prefer to see a, a monthly close on this, so that would really indicate, okay, we're ready to go. And if I see money flow come through once again, then the next upside target is around 88 cents. Okay, there you go. Hopefully that helps you there with that one. Uh, Nini, uh, just have a look. John had a follow-on stock as well. Uh, the Mighty Challenger, CGF, of course. Uh, one of the larger uh, financial uh, components or one of the components of the financials index. Challenger is quite large. Has had its issues recently, uh, particularly in regards to bond rates being so low as Japanese business, which it seems to be now getting in order. So Stuart, CGF, a company that you're familiar with, and if so, uh, what's your view on it? Yeah, we're familiar with them. Uh, we, we watched them fall from those levels of 14 uh, back in 2017, and they did come down to sixes in 2019. Uh, and as that turn happened then towards $10, we were quite happy with them. The, the tailwinds of an aging population are, are positive mm. for these guys because annuities do suit that aging population. Uh, then obviously along came COVID and really smashed these guys. So they fell off a cliff. Looking at them now though, they are starting to claw back ground. They're one of those deep value plays you might be looking out and, and as people are looking to shift from high growth into value, this would be one of the stocks that may come on the radars. Mm. Uh, and, and generally the tailwinds, the long-term tailwinds are still there for this business. Uh, they just need to make sure they get their distribution right, have the financial advisors pushing those products and, uh, and and really get them back out on the radar for investors. Yeah, although annuity products when uh, markets are going up always seem to lose a bit of focus and that shift away from equity some time back where they made a bit of a strategic play has really hurt them too. But nonetheless, so they seem to be finding their feet, David. The run-up since September has been pretty solid. I mean, it's a straight line northeast, which is exactly what you love to see. What sort of levels could possibly prove to be its next resistance point? Um, and if it ever does decide to retrace, where might some support be found? Look, Challenger is one that I like. Um, I got clients involved back in October. Mm -hmm. uh, I sort of categorised Challenger as, well, to clients as more of a high-risk play. Uh, it was really the markets were doing well. Challenger wasn't doing well. There's a massive yep. divergence there. Our numbers look great from a valuation perspective, but it just kept going down. So I did have a, have a few questions as to why uh, that was recommended. And it's one where it's played out well, but if you're not a holder in the stock, I'd stay away from mainly mm. because it's just had such a good run. Um, it's had a really good run. And also from a, a money flow index perspective, that's starting to twingle south. 
Uh, so it's it's one where I'm looking at now. Look, it didn't qu like touched almost touched six dollars from memory. I think it almost got there, but it didn't. So it's one where we'd be looking to take some profits off the table. Um, I would prefer to see a deeper pullback uh, down towards let's say about five dollars fifty or five dollars mm -hmm. before I look at a a re-entry. Uh, but it's one where I think uh, things stack up quite well for it. Uh, it's just had uh, a decent run of recent so i'd be just sitting on my hands if i'm not a investor at the moment okay and you can text us your questions 0480 or question at potty.com.au and our guests will be happy to answer them live on air uh, to which Stuart, uh, let's keep it in the same space or financials as it were a stock that i know your firm does know quite well that i think is quite interesting if you wouldn't mind bringing it to our attention is uh, kkr credit income fund the code is kkc for those of you playing along at home, why don't you tell a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit about this story because it is quite an interesting one. Yeah, so look, basically KKR is is well known as a, a global private equity firm. Mm -hmm. They've actually got this arm now, which is a, a credit income side. So it's a rather than uh, taking positions in buying companies, they just lend the money. So simply, uh, a company would come to them, ask to borrow the money, they would lend it out at a certain rate. And that income is then distributed back to investors. So we're looking at this as it's one of these types of plays we can have in the mix. It's not direct shares, it's not equities, it's it's a debt play, uh, but aiming to pay between a four to six percent dividend uh, is is reasonable income paid quarterly. Uh, and also looking at these ones, they're off their NTA by around eleven percent at the moment. So they're trading at a discount to that uh, NTA net tangible assets and what the business should be approximately worth mm -hmm. uh, and a company that so you're going to get a dividend out of them you should uh, with a bit of upside potential if they can get back towards that NTA price as well so yeah. it's a company being in the mix a good alternative for yield hungry investors yeah definitely and I was just calling that up now to see what the uh, dividend was and of course my friends at Telstra have decided to go a little slow on me but yeah, currently sitting just with only regards to six months in effect, so two and a half. So if they get it in line, you know, you could get four to odd uh, percent in a nice yield for that. So a nice alternative for those desperately seeking income. Um, I will go to a question from young Tesh, if I can, David. Uh, the stock that he's asked about is Fleetwood, FWD. Now, for those old enough to remember this uh, cape, I remember the prior mining boom back towards pre-2007 where Fleetwood was up towards 11 odd dollars on the back of them having a number of these mobile homes on the on the mine sites and the like. And of course they were getting booked uh, left, right and center. In fact, you'd buy a two bedroom crap box out in Karatha for like $900,000, it was just insane. Of course that all came crashing down and Fleetwood was also one of those that also had a big smacking. However, since that point in time, its share price has stopped falling. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's good for investors. Uh, and of course they've got other uh, accommodation solutions like caravan parks and various other things like that. So Tesh wants to know whether the reopening now of uh, state-based borders mean Fleetwood could have some opportunities ahead of it. Um, well, what does that chart tell you? Would that chart tell you that um, you know market seems to believe in what Tesh is uh, sort of saying? The chart looks pretty decent. Look, it's it, they're in a strong uptrend. Uh, they've had a good run over the last three weeks. But just looking at the rhythm, the rhythm of Fleetwood, now the last time we had a big move was back in uh, August, around mm -hmm. August for about three weeks. And that move was about 41% increase in share price. So if I look at the rhythm and I 
uh, clone that move to the upside. I'm looking at a price target of around 69 cents. Oh, sorry, not 69 no, cents. A bit low, mate. $2.40. $2.40, <laughs> just to scare everyone a little. It's more a 69 cent move in share price. So yep. apologies there. Um, so it looks pretty good. It's had a good run, but I think broader term, uh, there is scale for it to a push a little harder uh, to the upside. So I think it looks all right. Yeah, pretty decent. Okay, then. So hopefully that answers your question there, Tesh. And yeah, look, I think. You know, Simon Bond is a bit, from Morgan's Financials is on the show. Is also a big believer in a lot of these, um, you know, mobile accommodation and, and home places at the moment. So therefore, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's backing it, and I dare suggest Fleetwood would be one of those companies in that same sort of light as Borders reopen, and we can all go on uh, holiday again. All right, then, uh, gentlemen, it's time for us to now uh, see the light. Uh, it's uh, proudly brought to you, of course, by our partners in light at Macro Capital. Macro Capital gives you everything you need to discover, analyze, and execute on investment opportunities. This is why they're one of Australia's leading research and share advisors, research houses, sorry, and share advisors, helping everyday investors shine a light on financial markets to help you navigate them with confidence. Now head to the website, macro.com.au. Now macro is M-A-Q-R-O.com.au to find out more how they help investors every single day. All right then, Stuart, it's time for you to step up to the plate and take the first swing at Cedar Light. Now, of course, remember, folks, these are not intended to be buy recommendations per se. You're just going to sit there, listen attentively, and then decide whether the stock aligns with your own personal investment objective and tolerance to risk. So take it away, Stuart. What two stocks do you want to talk about today? Yeah, so the first one is Polynovo. Uh, mm -hmm. We've loved this company for some time. Uh, it's a technology that was spun out of the CSIRO. Uh, basically, it's a biodegradable polymer which seals large wounds and burns uh, and then makes the area ready for a skin graft. So they've just got record sales or consistently making record sales in the US, even through COVID. Uh, they're also spending very heavily to move into the uh, hernia space over in the US, and that's expected to be, uh, I believe, mid to late next year. They'll be in there. Recent uh, positive news. Uh, has, has seen their share price up around 30% over November. So they are on the move, but they're only just around now back to where they were pre-COVID. So if you say, okay, well, in the period since COVID came along to now, the business has improved. They've hit record sales. They've moved into new markets. So it's a company that we're still happy to back. Uh, just recently, uh, they've announced moving into Belgium, Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Sweden. That's on top of Germany, Switzerland, and Austria, where they already were. So that's through the same distributor. Uh, but the US is a big market for them. Uh, and, and they're also obviously spending heavily in that hernia space. So for us, it's a very early stage in something that could be quite amazing. Uh, and, and just today, I think they've hit their record highs. So mm. uh, very happy to stick with that one. The second one is Ordinate. Now they're a global leader in digital audio technology, audio networking. So it's a transformational shift from analog. So if you imagine spaghetti cables uh, with, with audio, uh, instead of that, you're now running it through a, a digital system, so through computers rather than analog. Uh, with these guys, they're being adopted by the manufacturers eight times faster than their nearest competitors. So their customers are actually the likes of Sony, Bose, Yamaha. As these guys develop their products, they're including Dante, which is owned by Ordinate, in their systems, and then they're rolling those out. So it doesn't matter who the end user actually chooses, they're still getting some Dante product uh, out the door. So it's really, it's a great play. It's, for us, it's one of the closest things we can see to a, a monopoly, the way they're growing so quickly and being included 
in those uh, products from the manufacturers. So for us, uh, it's a space that's set to triple over the next few years uh, and one we're very happy to be involved with. Yeah, and fighting its feet after a pretty tough period. Uh, so David, what two stocks do you want to help us see the light on that we're going to listen attentive, attentively to and then do our own research as to whether they align with our investment objectives and tolerance to risk? Uh, so the two stocks uh, that I have, Elio, um, hasn't really changed from last week. So the first one is Bravura Solutions. Yep. Uh, stock code is BVS. Very much unloved. It's been under pressure for a while now. And really on the back of you know, the market was expecting a 10% lift in earnings uh, financial year 21, but they came out and said that probably a 0% a lift and the stock got hit pretty hard. I think about 30% all in all. So I think it still looks pretty good valuation wise forward looking, you're looking at about $3.80 to $4.10 and also net cash of about 10, oh, sorry, 100 mil uh, mm. in the bank technically looks pretty good now i like looking for companies that have been underperforming the market uh, for a reason um, who really knows right but the fact that it's been underperforming and it's been over the last two weeks it's been ticking its head slightly slowly higher you know, up two percent a day uh, starting to regain traction so bravura i do like uh, for being unloved. Mm -hmm. Now, the other company that I do like um, is in the smaller cap side of things. Um, they're called Zalera Therapeutics, stock code is ZLD. So they provide um, medicinal treatment for autism and insomnia. Uh, Australian-based company, uh, but they're focused in the US. So the first sort of state that they're looking at is Louisiana. And they're looking to really penetrate on a global scale. So. They're going to really expand through the US. Then the next target market is Australia and Germany. And the 12 month forward valuation on this is roughly about 14 cents. Mm -hmm. uh, so pretty decent in terms of uh, potential capital appreciation. And uh, at their most recent um, presentation, they did uh, mention that there's a few more deals in the pipeline for 2021. And of course, they have to say that. but. I think they, they do have a few more coming. So they're the two, two of my picks, Elio. Yeah, ZLD, BVS are the uh, two stocks from uh, David. And then from Stuart, we've got AD8 and Polynovo, PNV, of course. Uh, great business there. Um, our See the Light segment powered by Macro Capital, your complete solution for stock market research, advice, and trade execution. Go to the website macromacro.com.au to learn more. Now, gentlemen, given that this is both your last appearance this calendar year, one of the que uh, final questions that I'd like to ask both of you and um, you know, that I'm asking all the guests is, after what's been an astonishing and amazing 2020, I don't think anyone could have picked this, so we're not going to try to predict any price levels or anything like that. But, uh, Stuart, I'll start with you. What piece of advice would you like to give investors for the year ahead? You know, I mean, there's so many lessons we could have learned. There's so many things to watch for. What's the one bit that you'd think that uh, investors need to take with them in their uh, investment bag for 2021? Yeah, well, look, uh, healthcare and tech have done very well for us. So we're not turning our back on healthcare and tech by any means. But mm. uh, we, we did some research. We've looked into this. And the last four recessions, uh, for the 12 months after those, value has outperformed growth. So I think there's a a reason to be looking at those spaces which have been unloved. So we're now starting to consider stocks which we never really looked at before. Uh, some of the financials have pulled back. Uh, 
uh, some of the energy plays. So I would say to investors to take a look at those spaces, which are still trading at decent discounts to COVID highs uh, and, and, and worth looking at, I think, as an option to get in the mix. Even though they're doing well off growth, make sure they have those uh, exposures to the areas that haven't moved yet because often they do play catch up uh, and it's nice to have some exposure to those. And David, what piece of advice would you like to give investors to keep in their kit bag for 2021? I think uh, what we've sort of learned this year is you just have to be dynamic. Uh, you could be in market for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but there's always that black swan event. So I think in terms of just knowing your portfolio, where you're overweight in which sectors, and just be it, be willing to make that decision to be able to switch switch out of sectors and being able to not so much put it into the hottest thing right now, uh, but I sort of feel as though, look, I think the vaccine news is huge and we've seen those sectors run, Stuart's mentioned financials, energy, and I think they're probably going to be the ones that will keep going, they'll continue to do well in 2021. Short right. term, I think they'll come back, but yeah, okay. long term, I think they'll be good. Got you, David. Sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off. But gentlemen, Stuart Bromley from Medallion Financial Group and David Thang from Sequoia Wealth Management, two young guns. Thank you so much for your contribution this year, even though it was towards the latter end. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Now, tomorrow we, we have our not-so-grumpy old men on the show, Simon Bond from Morgan's Financial and David Novak from Wealthwise Education. And just between you and me, let's, not, let's just humour them and get some profitable businesses in there as well. A number of them today, but they love talking about those stocks. Picks up their spirits. It'll make for a uh, funny show. Send us your questions early. You know the details already. We love those video questions, as you've seen. Thanks again to our partners in Light Share Wealth Systems, 16trades.com to learn the 16 trades of successful investing as authored by Gary Stone. Thanks again, Ticker. Thanks, Mike, for pushing all the right buttons. Stay tuned for the Ben Robin Robbo Show. And until tomorrow, folks, I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotting and together we've been shining the spotlight on shares. Take care. Streaming live across Australia, this is Ticker News.